Ladies, gents, and germaphobes, I want to welcome you to season four of How Not to Start a Damn Brewery. In 2019, I wrote a book to exercise the demons I'd picked up over a long decade of owning, brewing, and operating a brewery in Texas with my beautiful wife. That book is the same name as this podcast, and you really should pick it up on Amazon. Even brewers and bartenders can afford 18 bucks. What you're about to put in your ears is the only podcast that tells the truth in craft beer. I interview dead and dying breweries to learn what went wrong. I talk with breweries I think have a unique position in the marketplace to find out what they did right. I talk to distributors because they're a big part of the worst part of this industry. And I'm even sticking a microphone in the faces of cider, spirits, and mead makers. And yes, I do talk a lot of shit and piss off more than a few people in this industry. But I'm happy to be the crap beer pariah, trademark, because I'm here for one reason and one reason only, to make you better in your careers. My guests and I want happiness and financial success for each of you. We want you to avoid the mistakes we made. And since no one else has the stones to share how to do that with you, it has fallen to us. And trust me, we are up to the task. So sit back, listen in, and let us teach you how not to start a damn brewery. Are you thinking about paying retail for your brewery equipment? Well, since we all came and learned how to make good decisions, I'm going to hit you with some knowledge. So pay close attention. BrewBids is the only badass online marketplace to buy and sell new and used equipment. Maybe you're in the market to buy because you learned how to open a brewery the right way and know that overspending can be fatal. Maybe you're expanding up or down, and you know that stainless steel lasts forever, so it's really even better than new. Or maybe you're a guest of the show and you need a place to liquidate all your brewery equipment before the bank comes in and takes it. Doesn't matter. Each of you should be logging on to brewbids.com right now, creating your account, and connecting with the equipment you need. Get smart, get brewbids, and get busy making beer. A guy randomly showed up one day and like knocked on our window and we're like, who the fuck is this? And he was a rather intimidating guy. He rolled up in in like a tinted out, like Mercedes, like SUV, like gold chain, like everything. He was kind of yoked too. So it was like, what the fuck? And he's like, hey, are you interested in selling? And I was like, fuck yeah. And I was like, you idiot. New Orleans is a beer drinking city. And the brothers Boudreaux, David, Matt, and Pat, decided that this was a perfect place to open their dream. Well, the dream before the dream at least. See, what they really wanted to be were brewery owners one day, but they settled with slinging crap beer bottles and cans in a 2,700 square foot retail shop off Magazine Street down in the Crescent City. And they hooked up with a bottle shop franchise many of us know, good old craft beer cellar. So the neighborhood was made better, the seasonal tourists were made drunker, and the brothers fought the fight of craft beer. What they quickly learned is that the retail tier of our industry is bogged down with just as much BS, red tape, and distributor nightmares as the production side. They figured out that beer isn't where they made any money, and that a 35% profit margin is a slow grind to cover a $10,000 per month rent. They said they might have been able to break even one day, but they never counted on the good old COVID virus ruining all their plans, even if they still managed to have a little fun during the lockdowns. So only a few years after they opened, they got an offer they couldn't and quite frankly did not refuse, and they got out and got on with their lives. Well, spoiler alert, they took it, but you'll have to listen to the end to find out what they're up to now. Do you guys remember when the phone company used to print all the phone numbers on the internet and then send it to your house in some book large enough to knock someone the hell out? That's how I feel about fermenting beer in closed tanks without AccuBrew. So the industry can be so much better by just being digital. AccuBrew is simple to install, simpler to use, and one of those how in the hell do we ever get along without it products. For less than the case of beer a month, you'll get real-time fermentation feedback on current gravity, temperature, and even clarity. If anything is slowing down or out of the range you set for your recipes, it'll alert you, your brewer, and whoever the hell gets paid to fix it. Making better beer in 2023 is not an option. Install AccuBrew as soon as you possibly can, check improving the quality of the beer off your list, and get back to figuring out how on earth to be profitable in your beer business. Drop your mash paddle, go to accubrew.io, follow them on socials at accubrew, 
or just call Parker at 727-685-9860. Your beer, your customers, and least of all, I will thank you. All right, Matt, Pat, I want to thank you for talking. Thanks for sharing, and thanks most of all for giving a hopped up down a bayou fuck about helping all my guests be better in their careers today. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So I caught you with a drink in your mouth. I apologize. But <laughs> so, before we get to your story and your commentary and the booze biz overall and kind of what happened, let, let's get to know you. Like what, where are you from? What do you love? What sports did you play in elementary school? All that kind of fun stuff. I'm Pat. I'm born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. Played baseball in high school. Nowadays, I just spend my time working in the beer industry, mostly, nonstop. Uh, I'm Matt. We're, uh, if you haven't caught on, we're brothers. Our last name is Bujo, so we're about as uh, Louisiana and New Orleans as it gets. Been here for six generations. And that's one up, Pat, but, uh, you know, I was a three-sport athlete in high school, so I kind of have, uh, you know, one up on him. Well, this is going to be but a now, fun interview. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm now currently the head brewer at Oberg, which was uh, formerly Dixie. Oh, okay. I'll link that in the show notes. I've heard that story, but I don't know the new brewery. So, yeah, I'm curious to look that up. I'm a recent underling of his now. Yeah. <laughs> you work for your brother? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I bet you're a very good listener, too, and always do everything he says in a timely manner. I have conversations about how things yeah. go. <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting to that. At the, in the end, I'm going to ask what you guys are doing now, so you can tell me all the things he does wrong. Uh, that'll be fantastic. <laughs> Talk to me about uh, kind of how did you guys each get into beer separately? Did you get into it together? And then did do you get into business separately? And how did the genesis of the craft beer cellar in New Orleans come together for you guys? So our older brother, who was also a business partner in it, got us into beer. He had a friend who lived in uh, Germany, so he would visit him. And then, you know, like I feel like it's that classic early 2000s uh, story for people who got into craft beer. You know, you go to Europe get into their beers and you come back home and you're like, you got to try this stuff. So uh, I gradually kind of, you know, drifted that way and then got into homebrewing and I needed someone to help me and he was the closest one. So do you remember yeah, I, any of those I, early beers? Actually, uh, I know you guys had the DeFalco's man on. My uh, older brother got us a clone of some kind of a uh, recipe from them. And that was the first beer we uh, brewed. I think I, I distinctly remember, like, I think I was like in eighth grade or something, and we were at my oldest brother's apartment in Houston, and he was like, you got to try these different beers, and one of them was like Guinness, and I was like, oh, God, this is like, I cannot, I'll never drink this, and the other one was like Hogarth, and I was like, okay, I can get down with that, and now I'm like, if I see Guinness and, like, I don't see anything else that I like, I'm like, yeah, give me that. I'll throw back a few Guinnesses. <laughs> This is old timey ones. They remind you of the old yeah. days. But yeah, I, de I definitely distinctly remember that first hef that we that we brewed because I I still talk about it all the time because it was kind of that bad. <laughs> Estery and I'm sure fermented a little warm and yeah, there's a million ways oh, to make a hef yeah. taste weird. It was malt extract and everything. So we do the best we can when we're learning for sure. Yeah. So how did yeah. that love for mediocre, shitty homebrewed beer turn into wanting to open a business together? I think we were like, we were homebrewers, so we were like, let's not do the dumb homebrewer thing and open up a brewery. Let's do the next dumb thing and <laughs> let's open up a, you know, a bottle shop. It, it was really, yeah, it was like, I want to be in beer. I want to open a brewery. But once you look into that, that's very uh, expensive, very risky, very... The cost of entry is just way high. Started looking around the, the metro area and there was nobody who catered 
to beer drinking and we we had this like oncoming you know growing scene and nobody was supplying good quality beer and education towards it at the time there was like one guy but he was really a deli that had a beer room in the back everybody knows steins uh, dude you yeah, right, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey man no free advertising and, uh, he's not your competitor anymore so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. but by the time we opened there had been somebody else who had opened one a similar style in the area craft 504 and uh kind of beat us to the punch i, I assume we probably had the, the same ideas around the same time and they just were able to, to push their business plan through a little bit quicker than we were they had a couple of differences though they were like really big and you guys were a little bit smaller weren't you they had on-premise drinking they swung that somehow and that from what i heard that like saved them pretty much okay yeah because they had started off just selling just as a bottle mm-hmm. shop and then they got on-premise drinking, and that really swung the difference for them. Yeah, they actually really had to close down for a bit and then reopen. And I don't. Yeah, it was weird. It was, yeah, it was I don't know what's sketchy. going on with that now. Yeah, the, the two times I went in there, I left drunk both times. I remember that. Um, <laughs> that but that's also could be New Orleans's fault. I don't necessarily blame Five Hundred Four. So you decide you want to do a bottle shop. You guys at this point hadn't opened a business before, right? So no, no. That, that was something new, and and this is. So you guys are the first people on the show that have done a franchise, and I'm super curious. My first career was eight Anytime Fitnesses, and so I kind of got started in the franchise. And I'm just guessing that I may not hate it as much as you did, but let's. I'm curious. Let's, why did you pick CBC? How'd you find it? And then what did that process look like? I assume they had to approve you, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I found them in Beer Advocate back when Beer Advocate actually sent out a, a magazine. I don't know if it was like an advertisement or if it was a uh, article they did on them. Looked into it and. It, it, it sounded like a really good opportunity. Uh, our, our older brother is a, a lawyer and a CPA, so he's and he deals with a lot of businesses and stuff. He's like, uh, franchise is like definitely the way to go. You're gonna get it's gonna be so much easier for us to get, you know, loans and this and that, open up doors because it's more of a I, I don't know. I guess lenders look at it as more of a guarantee than just like here's some people who, who want money, no experience. You know, you kind of get that built-in experience behind you. You know, they had the blueprints you know so it was like this is the color scheme this is the shelves you know this is kind of like how the store should be set up you buy into this franchise that has opened up multiple locations right i think at the time they had almost 50 stores or something you assume that man i'm gonna go into this franchise and man it's gonna be you know support business experience and support and you know all this stuff is like oh It'll be like print money. Thought we thought we were gonna be printing money, so it's like, yeah, of course, no brainer, you know. Yeah, and they they back it up. I'm sure like all franchises do with the uh, numbers, you know, mm-hmm. financial numbers and stuff. This square well, so, footage, you can be making this much. Yeah, I think they quoted us like a what was it, a million dollars our first year or something like yeah, that. Yeah, in sales, in sales, a million dollars in sales <laughs> our first year. And they give you a range of what the startup costs will be, also. I think is they say on their website now like sixty to one hundred and forty or something like that. How accurate were the startups? <laughs> we did a little bit more than that just to have the capital to keep operating. And you know, dealing with the city of New Orleans is <laughs> uh, not the best. 
Yeah. So we had to jump through some hoops with that, and they kept on coming out, and they're like, you need a grease trap. You need a grease trap. Yeah, and it's always nice to know people. Uh, in this situation, they had, like, a game plan for you. Did they help you write the business plan effectively, or did you have to have a business plan before they would approve you? Did you have a business plan? We, should, third I, option. we had already kind of had a business plan. <laughs> yeah. We kind of had a business plan that we actually, if I remember right, like, we submitted to them as part of the approval process, if you will. So they approve you. They say the dislocation's cool because they got to approve the location. That You have sort of, like, a basic, I mean, yeah, I guess they approved the location. (laughs) They were supposed to do a lot of things like that, but it kind of got to the point where it was like, this is the location. The the, the location we ended up getting was it had already had a a liquor license associated with it. So that that helped a lot cut down on on time and cost. And is that a big Um, deal in New Orleans? It's tough to get. Yeah, it takes the lawyer quoted us like four to six months. You got to hold up meetings, neighborhood meetings. Yeah, you just meet at the neighborhood. You know, it's, I, I tell people this, that used to come in the store all the time that, uh, yeah, the, the, the liquor laws are loose here for consumers, <laughs> not for the, the provider. They're very yeah. strict. Mafia behind the scenes and the chaos yeah. in the streets, right? So, yeah, we got great moms. <laughs> Yeah. So you guys had a choice. I know that Crapper Cellar makes it sort of up to you guys, right? That whether you want to do bottles only because their main store in Belmont is bottles only. The one they say is their kills it or doing draft. Did you, did you have to make that choice? How did, and how did you make it? It was made for us by the location. So at the time, if you're a retailer, you're not necessarily allowed to sell on-premise drinking. So now come to find out there's like some loopholes, but you, you still have to get neighborhood approval and, the neighborhood we were in, I don't know if that would have been approved and it would cost a lot of money mm-hmm. through fees and stuff. Yeah, the neighborhood association there was not very friendly. You know, they like to drink alcohol, but they don't want alcohol in their area, you know. Which hmm. is weird in a city where you everywhere you is an alcohol. It's basically area. a bar, you know, you, <laughs> you can just drink walk, wherever. Yeah. When it's on yeah. it was on Magazine Street, wasn't it? Kinda got around it with we were doing crawlers out mm. of the, out of it. So we were able to bring in some cool uh, draft only selections. October canners, the the seamers. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever and they're like super affordable for a business. We were able to, you know, have some cool stuff on draft, but it also wasn't very kosher. So it was like, we couldn't really advertise it. It was kind of like, if you know, you know, <laughs> like, type of thing. Yeah. The alcohol mm-hmm. controlled people here were like, their attitude, I believe, was, uh, we're not going to stop you, but we're not going to say it's okay at the same time. Like, <laughs> we'll reserve the right to come close you down later. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It wasn't an, if somebody complained about it, then they would have just kind of like out of sight, out of mind until it got brought to their attention. And then they had to do something about it. But, you know, we had we had some pretty cool stuff on. We had some pretty cool grim stuff, actually, from International. Mm-hmm. Good old international. <laughs> I have to credit them, at least that they're the ones that introduced us. So we'll uh, we'll give them credit for that one. But, uh, one last question on the startup piece. Obviously, you guys yeah. were renting. And so more and more in these interviews, what I'm finding is that the rent is going to be the biggest problem for a lot of people going forward. Do you recall what your rental rate was? And then I'll preface that. I looked it up with what it looks like it's still vacant. It's currently being offered for $90,000 a year for 2,700 square feet, which might be the suite next to you guys, but same building. Yeah, that that's because we were paying like 10 grand a month. We definitely uh, paid a premium for where we were. I mean, I will say like you got a built-in audience. Mm-hmm. Matt, that, that section of magazine was a pretty tourist-friendly area. Yeah. Uh, there's a hop on hop off bus that stopped right there and a starbucks yeah, and a, one <laughs> yeah. Of, it's big it's the bit busiest starbucks in the in the region or something they told me i mean we paid for a premium spot well 10 grand in a hindsight, month. I, I think i might have uh 
I would have gone a different route maybe for, but that, then, you know, you're, you got to cultivate business. Uh, how many months is that going to take you? They probably, you know, had the rent high, a little high because of the alcohol license was attached to it as well. So they knew that they could get away with a little bit of a higher rent. Cause yeah, they were giving you a benefit that way. Well, and it's, it's one of those things that you, you deal with a lot when you're looking for location selection that, and actually Scott, you mentioned from Defalco's, he had a lot because he moves like five times so he was able to really yeah, yeah. deal all this in i've always said that with our business when when we've moved it in the past that you pay more rent to be where people can see you but if you could be off the beaten path three blocks and spend fifteen hundred dollars more a month in advertising you might actually make more money that's your business you figure it out yeah. whatever but there's definitely some possibility there that you know how many how many cases of pilsner six packs do you have to fucking sell to make 10 grand that's a lot <laughs> So, <laughs> so when did when did you guys actually move in? When was you, when was the grand grand opening? We moved in March of 2018. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was like a soft opening. Yeah, and then we had a grand opening in I think in, in April, April, something like yeah. that. Yeah, a bunch of brewery owners actually came out. We had we had a bunch of all these like local breweries, you know, pouring beers. I was actually kind of blown away and very humbled by like it's like oh my god like this brewery owner's here and they're like introducing themselves and you know it's oh my god you know this is it this is it's happening yeah, yeah. It's, it's fun that's part of the part of reason you wanted to do it yeah. right we could, could have gone out and sold the copy machine that made more money but the whole point was to hang out, <laughs> hang out in the beer industry and get behind the scenes but okay so you get open did you guys both work there yeah. How did you decide your roles? Did you just split it in half? Did you was like one guy the ordering guy and the other guy was the janitor? Like what? What did you do? <laughs> I was definitely the janitor. <laughs> yeah, some, I don't know. Uh, I think we just like kind of uh, it naturally yeah. just kind of happened. Like I, I did most of almost all of the ordering. Mm-hmm. There did get to a point where I was like, you can take over the ordering for a bit. Trying to stay under budget. Yeah. Was uh, and balance inventory was definitely a challenge. And also trying to keep new things flowing. Did you have a target for the number of SKUs you wanted to have? Or how did you kind of figure out what the shelf was going to look like? Basically, we wanted all of the local breweries and we carried everything that they put out. Every, 100% of what they made? Really? Yeah. Okay. yeah. All, all their flagships. Yeah. There were, I mean, there was times, you know, when I feel like towards the end when we kind of wised up about spending, there were certain breweries where we're like, your stuff's not moving, but, you know, we'll keep like one or two flagships, have you on the shelf, you know, show the local support. For the most part, we had, we had our main movers and we had, a, I mean, a lot of our local beer, whether it was good or not. Those were our main movers for us, so, you know, local, 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 mm-hmm. for sure. I will say in the beginning, like we, I bought everything. I bought just about every skew that every brewery that was available offered, and uh, I mean that was probably a big mistake for sure. <laughs> just because I was like, I love drinking all this stuff. I assume that everyone else does, and I, I a little bit before we, uh, I worked at Whole Foods in retail there, so. I have seen the stuff move off the shelf, but come to find out that's not what everybody wants. And uh, so like I, we ended up throwing away like quite a bit of like uh, what, like Lagunitas and like all yeah. these like, you know, iconic breweries. Mm-hmm. People just didn't want that crap anymore for some reason. Yeah. I don't new, know. New Belgium Lagunitas. Yeah. Bell's the only thing that kind of moved was too hard it really, but, or Oberon, you know, when Oberon came out, but all those OG breweries, Dogfish Head, unfortunately I, sat on our, our shelves and died. I guess the, the the real thing, like we were coming into that like phase of like uber hyper local people want it. That's all like people want it. They didn't want freaking Lagunitas anymore. They didn't want Fat Tire. They were just like, I want this. 
I want the, 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 the shit I can buy down the street. This is what I want. And with our clientele being like tourist heavy, we did have, you know, what's your, what's your local beer? You know, I want, I want your local beer or our one and two sellers was Paradise Park from Urban South and Juicifer from Gnarly Barley. And if you look at their cans and be like, yeah, I, I can see why those are like the one and two movers because they had cool cans and, and it was local. So that's what people wanted. And Juicifer is actually pretty good beer. Even as a guy who doesn't like IPAs, I like that one. <laughs> So do you remember, you guys are in what I would consider to be sort of the ugly phase of craft beer as far as as we were growing, we had killed bombers at this moment, flagships were struggling, like it was just a weird time. Honestly, that's when we started, yeah, it was like, we had bombers, Mm -hmm. nobody wanted bombers anymore, like that like just happened, like overnight, like we went from bombers to like the four pack, the the four pack price just kept going up and up, it's just. The 16 ounce four pack is like, that came onto the scene and that like destroyed bombers and we had... God, we had some great, really cool, like, goozes and, you know, things from all over the country and all over the world that just sat. And it was, like, breaking my heart, you know, to just, <laughs> just see those things sit on the shelf and nobody care. Nobody give a flying fuck about it. Yeah, me too, because I made 750, so I, I hated that as well. <laughs> Actually, I saw a uh, Jose the Rose at Total Wine the other day. I almost bought it. <laughs> still there it's, actually, it's probably gotten better with age actually yeah it's got quite a bit of dust, dust on, on it yeah <laughs> well those bottles it sucked the whole that whole industry just died but here's what it is but what so what were obviously you guys were moving paradise pills you're moving juice for in the cans but you know you remembered i'm sure at least a few years before that like when breweries would release something lying around the door or something special oh, yeah. what was the big mover what the, what's the kind of stuff that was just killing it for you guys right then when you opened or was there anything hazy ipas yeah hazy <laughs> uh, IPAs. we got a lot of stuff from 12 percent, and i said like oh yeah. you know 12 percent got brewed at one particular brewery and i feel i was like oh they're just making the same shit and put it in a different packaging but it yeah. was all it was all i don't like, know if you're familiar with the 12 yeah, yeah. percent list that that stuff moved instantly mm-hmm. it was all that evil twin stuff. Evil twin. Uh, um, Wicked weed, actually. When we first opened, I think I spent like three, three or four thousand dollars on Wicked weed stuff before we even opened because yeah. it was like they were doing this. They had just gotten bought out. They they were doing this one time like kind of drop and that stuff pretty that sold pretty quick. Most of the the Most stouts of IPAs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I actually the, sat at our house for like three or four months before. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, maybe not that. And long. you didn't it drink it. That That's very mature of you. I'm proud of you, Bull. <laughs> trying to be a responsible business yeah. owners yeah. at the time. <laughs> you know, I think I, I honestly, you know, we didn't have these like hype releases at the at the time. All the breweries were not releasing these hype beers to retailers. Yeah, they, it was, and uh, they they were releasing it at their brewery only. And so we'd field phone calls. We'd get people coming in. Hey, do you have this urban South like so and so? The worst was whenever Parrish did a new oh, yeah. ghost variation, and, and it got to the point where I would just be like, "Have you read the entire Instagram post from then, where it says brewery only?" Yeah, no one's getting it, but here, yeah. I feel like that kind of became an issue as far as between like a retail store and the brewery. Like I understand they're what you know, they need to bring the money to them where they can maximize the profit. I get that. But at the same time, like you're asking me also to support all of your other stuff. So that's a unique perspective because you're on the other side of the other breweries that I talk to. Yeah. But I need to take a break and then when I come back, I'm gonna go into this in detail. Alright, we'll be right back. Are you still paying shipping for your brewery's ingredients? That's really, really dumb considering that Brewery Direct offers free shipping on every single order. But maybe that'll work out for you. I mean, Donald Trump got elected president. 
Paula Abdul and Justin Bieber both had singing careers. Shaq managed to play ball real good, and Paris Hilton ended up not losing all of her family's money. But if you don't want to risk it, I'd call Brewery Direct. They've got a diverse selection of malted and unmalted grains, aseptic fruit purees, yeast, and even hops. And if you brew with adjuncts, they've got you covered on that front too. What they don't do is charge you to ship it because they don't suck. Now serving 12 states and even Canada, your brewery needs Brewery Direct. So go check them out online at brewerydirect.com or at Brewery Direct at whatever social media whose algorithm you let control your habits. Okay, welcome back. So I got this question I want to ask you about like what your KPIs were and where you generated revenue, but we cannot just run the thread we were just on and leave it alone. So I know breweries in this area specifically and other guys I've talked to you that there are retailers that would threaten to not sell them. One of the bigger issues I saw was even like if the flagships were cheaper. So some breweries were doing like $5 pills pours on Thursdays because they need to make money. And, you know, the bar across yes. the street can't because they're buying a keg and they got a three, five X multiple, whatever it is. So, you know, competition between brewery tasting rooms and retailers is a real thing. For me personally, I have heard a few times where the retailers like, yeah, it's not a big deal. That's bullshit. I don't buy that for a second. So I'm curious your perspective. I would say, yeah, it's not a big deal if you're uh, smart and you're making all your money off of wine and spirits, you know, like (laughs) I'm making way more money off of selling a bottle of bourbon than I am your four pack of $16, $20 hazy crap bomb thing. I think like more of the issue comes up when it's like, hey, you're not buying this or that. Why not? Some I, I know people here, uh, like some of the retail stores here have done it. They, they were like, well, I'm not buying that from you. You're not giving me the good stuff that everybody wants, that everybody's lining up for, that I'm fielding I'm fielding all these phone calls and sending business your way because people want to know where I, where they can get it. So did you have but, breweries that would agree then to sell you some of the more special releases when you said that? No, oh, no. Really? We no. weren't. I never, I never really complained about it. I don't yeah, think we, really we never really, we, we were pretty uh, laid back, but we also realized too, you know, we weren't a big player in the game, you know, like, like yeah, oh, it, no. it's unique here because, you know, you can go to a grocery store and you can buy beer, wine and, and spirits. The, the grocery stores were the big players in the game. So they didn't really give a shit about With, us. And were they getting a special and, release? No. no okay. I think, no. like I said, we have these other, uh, this network of other retailers where like like back in the day kbs and bourbon county stout like that was a big deal you had to carry all their Mm -hmm. uh flagships well people people stopped caring about that too you know Mm -hmm. and that's kind of also like i guess more like i know all that stuff is like i'm not gonna make money off of it that's like kind of an instant cash we kind of took like the uh the brewery approach where it's like i just need to be selling flagships consistently at a certain level you know to make money yeah just turning half barrels and whatever you can yeah right i feel like People who were consuming their time on like being mad about why breweries weren't giving them their special release stuff. I'm like, well, you're not focusing on your business and how you, how you're maximizing yeah. your profits off of it. You're yeah. you're just complaining about it because I heard it from all the reps. And I'm not trying to throw them under the bus or anything. Go for it. I don't give a shit. Throw them under the bus. They they, <laughs> they stop carrying like a lot of the local flagship stuff. Whether it's because they could, like he said, you couldn't keep up with price from the grocery store or not. Or they, I know they expressed that they were upset that they weren't getting the specialty stuff, you know? Yeah. For us, like I said, like, I just think it was like, we sold so much stuff to like tourists who never had the flagship Mm -hmm. that it didn't matter to me. It would be nice to have it, you know? We had a couple of these breweries who did these like special release drops. Parrish did a, we bottled this same day and released it to the market same day. And they were like, oh, how many, you know, you want like 10 cases this I think we bought like three or four cases and it, and it sat. sat there 
You know, nobody gave shit. Yeah, nobody nobody and, cared. And they had just won a GABF medal, Four. gold medal for that beer. The the rep came in and she was like, Oh, do you want to see it? And we're like, No. <laughs> she was shocked. You see the medal, you mean? Lot. Yeah. And how dare us for talking shit about Parrish. She just drove around with the medal in her pocket? Yeah. Uh, yeah actually they, around they, her neck. They were trying to get like uh, they were trying to hype it up. Nobody gives a shit about that stuff. Like, <laughs> it doesn't I turn mean, into revenue. People, yeah, like I, maybe some of us in the industry, like it's cool. And yeah, it means yeah. something a little. But consumers, they don't care about anything like that. It's, I always find it funny though with like the wine. It's pretty bad in wine where it's like this is a '94 and this is a gold and this is that. It's like nobody cares. That's been my experience. Yeah. Around here, we're, we have such a unique market where we are a quantity over quality town and we're more of a cocktail town as well so it's like people you just, want did you just say that everyone in new orleans is a drunk is that what i heard you say? <laughs> well you know you can walk around with a beer nobody care about it i mean i i maybe i shouldn't say this but uh if you go to some of the local breweries around here you will come to find out that yeah nobody gives a shit about quality Oh, I, I definitely drank some bad beer when I was in that area, Baton Rouge too, for, <laughs> for sure. And, and that's that's across the board. That's definitely not unique to New Orleans. The the average consumer, really, if you sat down and talked to them, they couldn't tell you what a quality pilsner is supposed to taste like anyways. And most of them, you need to have a little bit of residual sweetness in there to balance the palate out. So if it's traditional German, Czech, whatever, they're not they fucking don't like it better anyway. So. Well, I always say that New Orleans has the palate of 12-year-olds. We like things really, really sweet. Keep in mind, I'm uh, not very far from San Antonio, so don't try to – I would love to go head-to-head with your beer scene and my beer scene. <laughs> Anytime, buddy. So we mentioned earlier, and I wanted to ask, what were those KPIs? So you talked about – I think, Pat, actually, you mentioned that the margins and what you had had in there. What were you guys measuring? What was your target of you know depletions or, or is it – your time on shelf, like how, and I assume Crap Yourself helped you with this, but how did you decide whether you were being successful or not? <laughs> no, no, they did not. <laughs> Their well, big they, thing was just, well, they should have. You know, don't, don't keep shit on the shelf that's out of date, mm-hmm. you know, like common sense stuff. I don't know if we really, we really had one. Yeah. Uh, we would run, we, we were able to run reports what was like the best selling of the month and what was moving. We were there every day, mm-hmm. 10 plus hours a day. Mm-hmm. So like I we, we just knew I guess you know yeah you have uh, more of an organic understanding of how it was working yeah like yeah. we noticed the swing I guess to kettle sour so we started like mm-hmm. stocking up more on that and ended up dedicating almost a yeah. cooler cooler door and a half of of just kettle sours yeah. kettle sours singles IPA, only yeah. that was kind of a, also yeah. a, a big mistake too is like we sold a lot of singles and some of them were 30%, some of them markup. And I, I think it was on one of your first podcasts where that the brewery in Texas, they sold a shit ton of cans because they had really cool can artwork and they didn't sell that much draft. That's one thing that we learned the hard way is that draft is king and these single cans moving. Yeah, we might have sold like, I think maybe on average we would sell like 250 like cans. Yeah, one you know at two dollars a can or two seventy five a can, and you're not making thirty points is getting anywhere. No, I think that's my favorite perception people have about beer. I guess I don't know. Maybe they get it from wine and spirits, but like they're like, oh, you're making so much money off of. I'm like, no, no. Do you know how much I make off of one six pack? Like not that much. Actually, how did you guys decide what your margin was going to be? Was that Um, a craft beer seller help? Yes. Oh, we found something they they, did. It was between thirty and forty percent margin. Yeah. 
pretty and standard that, that for an like independent. Like kind of evolved yeah. over time too, where we were like, ah, I don't know if we can really make the full 40% off of this because it's just not going to move at that price point. So, you know, just like kind of like, like I said, just being there every day, all day, like you just, you like I think like you said, it. yeah, like naturally develop this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's an interesting transition yeah. because since you guys weren't able to get those special releases prior to that, your kind of store would be where we would have sold those to. And so, you know, we would line up, there'd be big drops that whole day. Yeah. There'd even be, I remember the Twitter folks would follow us around town. So we would get in trouble if we delivered to Jody at Witchcraft before we delivered to the Sam up at Sunrise Minimart because he wanted to post on his Twitter first. If you didn't deliver to him first, he wouldn't buy the next release. Like shit like that. There's you, definitely someone around here that's like that (laughs) yeah but when you guys miss some of those like different releases or whatever that was also where the margins were so like if we only had you know 50 cases of something it would primarily go to independent shops and not to the Mm -hmm. grocery stores and so that was what made the independent shop unique and better for the consumers that that's where you could go to get shit you couldn't get anywhere else and so I'm curious with your model, I mean, it's the way it's going to sound, but what was the pool to go that why would a consumer that, you know, is local go to your place to buy a six pack versus somebody else? Outside of the fact that you guys are both extremely attractive and they want to hang out with you, but. Um, <laughs> we we sold singles, everything. You, you could buy everything in the store as singles. Like you can't do that at the grocery store. Yeah. Okay. People, that was our big main attractive yeah. attraction, I, I would say is. Convenience too. Yeah. Know, we were also. In the uptown area. A convenient location for mm-hmm. people in the, uh, people who actually lived in the area. Yeah. And the closest place was like six or seven blocks from us that they would have to go buy beer. Well, and then too, you know, like like what you said how people got their drops first i think you know we found that that actually kind of hurt us because certain other independent shops in the city uh that have an area code had an inside person in these distributors and they would get their stuff first and they'd be like well 504 has it you know so we would probably lose a couple of customers to these places that got it a day in advance oh yeah and i don't know what you want to call it but we, i'm not going to go and aggravate the the sales rep, the distributor rep about it, mm-hmm. demand that they come and drop it off on the, the days date. before yeah. our ordering date. I don't think we believed in that. Like, yeah. our, I think our model was like, we want to be, you know, a team here. Like, we don't want to piss you off. And in return, like, you're going to take care of us too. And and for the most part, it worked. It worked well. We found over time, like, some of our sales reps were like, yeah, no problem. I'll bring it out to you. We didn't even have to ask. They would just do it. A lot of the brewery reps, you know, they really enjoyed coming to us, talking shop and or talking shit, you know, whatever it might have been. But at the end of the day, if they asked us, hey, can you pick this case up? I need to, I need to meet I need my quota, I need a placement, yeah. I need new spot, whatever it might be. We had no issues doing that. But, you know, and also in return, it was more so the brewery sales reps took care of us, not necessarily the distributor sales reps. And did you guys ever do anything like with food or anything other than that? Or was, did you the whole time was it strictly beer? We had a macaroon pop-up so- one. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, she, it was like a bakery. Oh, yeah. man. She made some really good macaroons. <laughs> but, I think we just did that around the holiday time once. Yeah. yeah. And she actually sold, you know, quite a bit of macaroons out of – it was like a Saturday. So we, we, drew, we used to draw a pretty large crowd on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, with all the tourists and stuff. People, you know, there's a ton of shops, boutique shops on magazines. So, you know, we draw this large crowd and she actually sold a shit ton of macaroons. Brewery reps loved coming in on Saturday because mm-hmm. they, they, they could sell oh, they a couple could, cases yeah. of beer that yeah. day. And, oh, and yeah. that was individual, that was individual cans, you know, just doing a, doing tastings. 
giving out swag, whatever it might be. You know, they they love some, most of them would team up, be like, oh, we be like, oh, we we have this time filled, and they'll be like, oh, I'm gonna call them, and you know, we'll we'll just team up and and do a lo- dual tasting or whatever. Did you guys ever require breweries to do that so that they could put their stuff no. in your store? No, hell no, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> There's there's been a lot of opportunities that I've seen that uh, at other places. <laughs> Again, well, we're gonna I don't give a shit. We're gonna beat them up anyways. But did Crap Your Cellar give you any ideas on how to do that? How to incorporate support from the breweries? Like, what did they help you with it? Uh, from the operations I mean, perspective, day to day, like how did they help? Uh, <laughs> it was a good thing and a bad thing that we didn't have day to day help from them mm-hmm. because I think our market differed from like any other market they've really ever been in. And our location, especially just being so mm-hmm. tourist dominated, they're like focusing on trying to take care of return customers. 95% of our customers were never coming back because they were oh, yeah. down the street and gone the yeah. next day. That being said, yeah. we did we did our absolute best to take care of people who lived in the neighborhood. Oh yeah, we had a rewards program and I would put out a newsletter you know, once a month and I'd throw these coupons on and maybe like one or two people would come in and use. I'd, I'd throw some pretty good uh, deals out there just to see who the hell was actually paying attention. But, you know, they, they kind of suggested, you that know, the newsletter, stuff. the keeping, you know, people informed about the local industry and what, you know, what beers are new and tastings and a big part of the CBC brand is actually education. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I uh, I got my certified Cicerone. Didn't they require? A, they require one yeah. of us to have it. So we could sit there and educate the customer. But whenever that customer did walk in the door, that was this is what I'm looking for, whatever it might have been, they kind of wanted a little education. No problem. Gave it to them, helped them out. You know, very helpful. But most of the time it was, you know, your drunk tourists walking in and I can walk with a beer and this and that, you know, we got into some, uh, some pretty rough altercations with them, but you can't educate a customer like that, you know, <laughs> he just wants something high alcohol and cheap. Exactly. Yeah. So I know there was a period where crap beer seller and I apologize. I did do some research, but I didn't write down the dates, <laughs> but where crap beer seller like kind of famously said, we're going to really curate the list. So they were going to essentially tell you what you could or couldn't sell at one point. Were you, oh, were you yeah. guys there then? I don't remember if that was before yeah. you or not. Yeah. 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 There was no, I feel like that list, if, if it existed, only applied to like New England stores. Where they were and they knew about, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, like mo- most of it is like, I don't, we don't, I, I wouldn't even get half the stuff on there. Yeah. Like they did have an approved list, but what? there was no list that said like, you can't carry this. I was like, we don't even get half of this stuff. Like, <laughs> was it uh, so? Um, was it like breweries that got bought out or? Um, I don't remember. I definitely know it was like you know you can't carry like Bud Light. Oh Light. yeah, they were they were against the macro stuff. We eventually, which eventually we were just like, we're catering to party people. Mm-hmm. I need to sell. I need stacks of yeah. this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Our idea behind that was like, okay, we'll stack this. Budweiser, we'll stack this, you know, Bud Light, Miller Light, whatever it might be, and and of course, you know, White Claw and Trulies. Of course. And then you know we'll get we'll get them to come in, buy a couple of cases, and you know a a freaking bottle of Tito's, you know. And we actually had to disguise it on our reports because we have to send them these monthly reports. So like, we would disguise the name of Bud Light. <laughs> Maybe leave that part out. It's up to you. I would imagine you're not the only one. Yeah, that, that. Like, hopefully that we can we can get them to buy 
some craft beers and most mm-hmm. of them did yeah most of them would buy like a 15 pack of paradise park which because is of, like a gateway yeah a lot of times like people would come in wanting to buy like local beer but they also wanted a case of like you know miller light so i got tired of like turning away people and i was finally like i just told them i was like dude i don't i don't care anymore like we're we're buying shitloads of, of all this macro stuff and we're gonna case stack it well so it's an interesting argument because obviously so that's where the industry every single time craft beers had kind of a boom, mm-hmm. it's always sort of come back to those macros. And they, and they obviously are still the dominant player in the industry. What was the volume like on those products? Did it surprise you? Uh, it still wasn't like super, yeah. super high volume. But like, I mean, we would move we would move several, mm-hmm. like a, a couple stacks on a weekend. Yeah. Especially um, the markup on a on a single Bud Light. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if we were marketing it up at a craft price, and these idiots I mean, are coming yeah, in like and, and buying two dollars for a Bud Light, for like a, a sixteen ounce. ounce, yeah, Bud Light. Yeah, I mean you're making you're making money, the right now. Yeah, on it. yeah, more money on that. There was actually a pizza place not far from us that opened with like I don't know, thirty taps or something like that. San Antonio or North San Antonio. He's like, dude, I gotta have Budweiser uh, in bottle, so I'm just gonna put it in bottle. I'm gonna charge six bucks, and no one's gonna buy it. He sold more fucking Budweiser in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I made a ton off of it. It was the best yeah. margin I had because no one cared. They were like, he's like, dude, it's six bucks. You can get a craft thing for six bucks on draft. He's like, yeah, I don't care. I want that. Yeah. I mean, like the same happened with our wine and spirits are going to be, you know, very curated. And then it's mm-hmm. like, well, we're selling a shitload of Fireball all of a sudden. Like, oh, yeah. well, or we, would we need sell. money. <laughs> Some of the craft reps would come in and kind of like joke with us like, oh, selling that. I'm like, hey, dude. I got to make money to keep your stuff on the mm-hmm. shelf. It's not, it doesn't move as fast. Yeah, wherever the volume's at. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the name of the beer game is mm-hmm. volume at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah I think that's kind of what also we kind of found out actually kind of maybe a little too late in our years there, but we found it was like, oh, you can actually make more money off of wine and spirits. So we expanded our wine and spirits section like dramatically. Yeah, I think we we stopped putting money into like really rare or I shouldn't say rare, but like rare around here beers, like really cool quality yeah. beers from like uh, the Shelton Brothers and stuff. That their their whole like cool list, and mm-hmm. we were like, well, I could buy that, but that's gonna sit on the shelf for a couple months. We'll just expand and keep expanding wine and spirits. Do you know kind of when that was versus when you opened? Did it, did it take a year, year and a half till you figured that out? Uh, probably took, it took a year. Uh, I don't want to say it took 20, me, like 2019. Yeah. It took, like late 2019. Neither one of us really drank wine or, or spirits yeah. that much prior to opening. It was something like I didn't really feel comfortable uh, stocking and not being able to talk about hindsight. That was that was stupid. Just put it on the shelf and make it up until you, until you actually yeah. figure it out. <laughs> Got a great racquetball <laughs> flavor and aroma to this uh, Cabernet or whatever. Racquetball? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, especially in that situation, obviously, you, you if you have the ability to sell it, because not every place can do that in a crappier right, right. place. But it was so. really cool because we, you know, these reps would come in, wine and spirits reps came in, and I was like, you know, I was never really a big wine drinker, and come to find out I was just drinking really shitty wine. Yeah. And so, like, we would get to taste these. You know, not I wouldn't say expensive wines, but affordable wines. And I was like, "Holy shit, wine! Wine and spirits, freaking awesome!" You know, and I actually built my knowledge, you know, more and more with these wine and spirits. And you know, we felt comfortable talking about them, and we expanded that section. It took off for us. You know, yeah. it did it did us really well. Every year, it uh, became a, a larger and larger portion mm-hmm. of sales. So 
Well, let's uh, let's dig into that a little bit, and then uh, also what happened after the growth stopped happening. But I'll just take a quick break. We're right back. Yeah. If you're gonna put your logo on something, you have a ton of choices out there. So what do you do faced with all this crippling choice? How do you pick the best promotional company to help you market your brand to the boys and girls that need to see it? Well, it's pretty simple, really. You just listen to me. I've used Leapfrog promotions for like a decade and a half, but I've also used brewery-specific and even glassware-specific companies. And you wanna know what I found? I found that Leapfrog is just as good at the product side. In fact, they're actually better because they have more choice. Why only brand shirts and caps like everyone else when you can do pens? coffee mugs, embroidery, tents, banners. But where they really kill it is on the service side. It's a one owner company and Kelly, nope, not me, the other Kelly, actually gives all the cares about helping you be better in your business. And in this business, we know service sells over quality. So why on earth would you settle for anything less than your vendors? That is why I have to recommend LeapFrog Promotions to you, the people you love, a few you just like, and two you absolutely hate. Give yourself a gift and type Dan Brewery in the notes at checkout and you'll get 5% off all your purchases. Even better, Every single purchase you make benefits the show. Find them online at leapfrogpromos.com. Leapfrog, guys. Remember Leapfrog. All right. So welcome back. I did pour myself a glass of wine on this break. And uh, we're going to get back into the growth of wine and spirits for you guys. But first, we're going to break ranks a little bit from what I had planned. Because I don't like being the guy that makes all the plans. Because Matt says he wants to shit on distributors. So I want to hear <laughs> some. Give me your biggest distributor horror story. And if it happens to be with international distributor, I was with the New Orleans, that's fine, but it doesn't have to be. Oh, they were, I mean, I don't think you have enough time on your show to uh, shit on them, but. Oh, I'll give you three different episodes <laughs> if you want. I don't care. My favorite, well, my favorite thing about them was uh, they they did have refrigerated trucks in the wintertime, <laughs> but in the summertime. They were, uh, they were hot boxes. Everything. Oh, man. Yeah. We, we got actually one of those Grim kegs. It came so hot when we put it on, uh, we finally cooled it down, put it on tap, and it was just, pour- it wouldn't stop pouring foam because it was, uh, you know, this mixed firm yeah, beer. Like, and <laughs> I'm surprised it didn't blow up the keg. It was so bad. Their case was would come so disgusting. Oh, Mold yeah. and dirt. dirt. My hands would be, after putting it on the shelf or wiping it down and putting it on the shelves, my hands were like still like moldy yeah. black. Why do you think that is? They just left it at ambient or something? I, you oh, know, we, we actually talked there. about that though. Like, I didn't know if it was like a lot of the beer we got from them came from Shelton Brothers. So, like, uh, I don't know if it, if it was their fault or who's actually, you know, if it was international. Well, Shelton's model the warehouse was uh, covered in asbestos or something. Yeah, Shelton's model is that the breweries would ship to them. So you've got right. a maybe refrigerated truck, maybe not. Goes mm-hmm. to Shelton, they're in a warehouse there at whatever temp. And then they go down, maybe refrigerated, maybe not. And my experience with International is that we booked the freight and a couple of times the refrigerated was more expensive. And so they would just not bring refrigerated and I don't think that they cared. And it was definitely a interesting business that they ran down there. But <laughs> Well, Fabio, that's what I called him. He was a he's a cat dude. He's he's an interesting oh, dude, but um. I never I met him one time. He at the brewery that I used to work for. He, he was like, if you sign with me, we'll buy you a canning line. But I never met him prior to that. And how I pictured him in my head is exactly how he looked in person. Yeah, you I know? didn't. I was actually it's shocked. Like, I didn't yeah. picture the long black ponytail. He got me on that one. <laughs> um, That's exactly how I pictured him. I guess every Friday they have a meeting there. And it's not oh, really yeah. a meeting. They just get fucked up. And so they just drink yeah, the whole time. And mm-hmm. I was in, I think, two of those. And I was like, holy shit, you guys. I'm an alcoholic and y'all put me to shame. <laughs> <laughs> all 
But did, did you ever have distributors that needed to pick up product and they wouldn't like that kind of shit, like normal stuff? Um, no. They were actually pretty good about. That. Yeah. I feel like for the most part, they were pretty good about it. They, I mean, they, there was a couple of uh, times where like a, a brewery put out stuff that like would, would like they found out like a bunch of uh, cases were exploding on the mm-hmm. shelves. So they're just they would actually you know send us an email or call and be like, could you just put your cases on the mm-hmm. in the back? We'll come and pick them up, refund you whatever. I don't think we really ever had a problem. So much with yeah, the with uh, bigger distributors, the a, you know the AB and the Miller mm-hmm. House. Maybe the the AB because they had like the twelve percent list mm-hmm. and the way they did it, uh, they would like send it out and first come first serve kind of thing. But oh, like yeah. I think once or twice, we had we had an issue where like we were supposed to get something and they dropped it off at another place and not ours. And I don't know if it was you know they said it was the driver's fault and I'm like okay <laughs> if you say so. I mean, again, like we were never once to really push the issue. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe we should have. I don't know. I just except for the one time when uh, a brewery sales rep came to our store and they were like, "Little did we know that these chairs were hot already." Oh uh, yeah, yeah. How could I forget about that? So, you know, she comes into our store and she says, "Hey, we'll, like, we're getting rid of these chairs. We should, you know, they have raffle their logo them off. on. Yeah, them. they've got their logo on them. We're like, all right, we'll we'll raffle them off." And she's like. If they buy a six pack or buy a can, they they can put their name yeah, in the hat of their product. Yeah, oh, okay. Of, of their the brewery's product, you know, they can put their name in the hat to like win this chair or whatever. And, and we, it turns out you can't do that. That's uh, against the rules here in this state. Mm-hmm. So the distributor that uh, didn't distribute them walked into our store, saw it, and called the ATC on us. Didn't yeah. tell you to stop, just decided to turn no, it out. No, and we were like, we were pretty brand new. Like we had mm-hmm. only been open maybe six months. Yeah. Still to this day, I, we are still both pretty uh, oh, I, hot about yeah, it. Like I'm I just- about it. The ATC came in and they like, you know, questioned us and did all this stuff like this. And then the best part about it was is that we found out who ratted us out. You come into us, you know, big buds and this and that. I'm like, oh, afterwards, you saw it might be cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was mm-hmm. just like, just tell me, like, tell me, just tell me just what we're doing is we're not supposed to. I, I didn't know. Like, no, yeah. you, you know, like nobody, they give you a liquor license. They don't give you like a whole rule book with it. Even if they did, like, I, it's probably in language I don't understand anyway. You but know? it was this, like, shitty, like, we got caught in between the AB house and the Miller yeah. house. And it was like, come on, guys. Like, we're this, like, little fish. Right, right. Uh, you know, we're not a, they, we're they, not a pawn in y'all's game, you yeah. know? Well, but, and it's, like, literally, uh, not to not to quote Christianity, but those who live in glass houses, right? Or whatever. Like, at some point, hey, yeah, fuck yeah. you. You did it yesterday. Don't give me that shit. Like you're going to call the cops on me. Like you, you're going to do it tomorrow with yeah. that account across town. Like H- having sense work for a distributor it is so petty when it comes to mm-hmm. that stuff. And they all it do is, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, Oh my God, I, I thought we were grown ups here. <laughs> yeah. Now I remember I had uh, early on gotten a contract from uh, Southern Glaciers in San Antonio and I don't know why they decided to send me their pro forma for the city. And so it was like, you know, the, in everything they spent and it was, like seventy-five or eighty thousand dollars on draft equipment, which they're not supposed to buy anything other than like little cheap shit. Okay, fuck you. That's coolers. We know what that is, dude. And, uh, in one year, so yeah. Oh yeah, we had it when we put up our taps. They came running in, and the guy was like, "Oh, can we just put up these tap handles?" And we're like, 
you know, they want it. They want it. Our yeah, they yeah, want like, our tap handles. Yeah, and I'm um, like, I don't think you guys understand our business model yeah. to begin with. Like, we're not going to be this huge draft. We might have had that, that that those tap handles. I think we had like eight or six or eight handles, and we might have had those handles filled up like one time. You know, mm-hmm. they were so petty about it too. They were, oh, we want your handles. Like, yeah, they were like, oh, how are you going to split this? Uh, you know, three for us, three for the other yeah. guy. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm just going to buy whatever yeah. I, I feel like buying at the time. And uh, having never had, never worked in a bar before, like I, I, at the time, like I was blown away by that, like level of just like, I need to make all these decisions right now on this. Like, no, I'm going to buy whatever I want. Yeah. And, and they we'll think they own it in Texas. They yeah, yeah, yeah. put in oh, and, and they would come and they try to like clean our, you know, they clean the line and that, of course that means that it's theirs, you know, cool. And I was like, I was like, hell no. I was like, I've, I've had draft beer in new Orleans too many times to know that even if you are cleaning those lines, like you're not doing a very good job of it. Yeah, so right. I'm going to clean my own lines. Like, Oh, and then, uh, on our coolers, one of the AB house, I think it was printed out oh, our yeah. logo with their brands on top of the mm-hmm. coolers. And the Miller house was all like butthurt about it. And they're like, well, you didn't give us an opportunity and this and that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Like they offered it first. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and give you one cooler, mm-hmm. them one cooler. Like that's no. Yeah. And they wanted to, they were like, oh, and all our guys, they'll come in and they'll, they'll like stack the shelves and this and that. I'm like, no, just Absolutely drop it off not. in the back. We'll take care of it. Yeah. Like, I don't. I don't need you guys touching anything. Like, especially hey. how they stack the shelves. Yeah. It was the dumbest the, thing. Yeah. Like, they would stand the boxes up, and I was like, "You can't really fit that many boxes on the shelf if they're stood up like that." You know that. Well, and each of them are trying to do it so that their product gets better placement, and then that's but yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's a mess. I've I've seen horror stories of doing that too. So it's always better to stock yourself if you can. So we're going to reserve the right to come back to distributors at any point in time that we want to. But let's move along to sort of how that works. So you guys transitioned to wine and spirits, and mm-hmm. seemingly that part of the business grew faster than beer. Yeah. I mean, beer was still like, I think like the a, dominant hand. Yeah, yeah, I think beer was still like 75% mm-hmm. of our sales. But we actually took out beer shelves Space, yeah. to expand our, especially our wine. Yeah. Because we'd have a lot, you know, we, our, I think our price point with wine was like 10 to $20 and a couple uh, higher end yeah. bottles. And so we'd get, especially a lot of neighborhood people or people staying at Airbnbs and stuff come in. You know, yeah, they're gonna buy like a yeah. case of beer, or whatever. But you know, they wanted a couple of bottles of wine. And that stuff. Well. I mean, at that that price range, that stuff's flying off the shelf. Mm-hmm. And you're making, you know, five six bucks off of a bottle. And yeah, I, how many how many cans of beer yeah. do I have to sell to make that? Our spirit and wine reps for the distributor specifically did a much better job. You know, they have this giant portfolio, but took the time to be like. Hey, this is what's going to work at your store at this price point, and you can mark it up at this. They actually helped us out way more than any beer distributor helped us out. From Uncorked, we sold this cheap vodka, Royal Gate vodka, and it was the worst thing in the world. But we, it was a, it was like a liter of vodka, and the markup on it was ridiculous. We we sold just as much as that as Tito's. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and the, the our our sales rep was like, nobody knows about this, yeah. so like. You can you, you can, can squeeze set, a yeah. little bit more of a margin out of it. It's and, not like it's everywhere, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. He's like he's like I can tell you it's only at a handful of places. It's not like 
Yeah, think, we were buying it for like five dollars a bottle and selling it for twenty. It was, yeah, it was ridiculous. It was flying off the shelves. It's a good deal. So, at what point does this change? Like, where does the struggle begin? Well, I, I think it kind of started in the kind of always, in the beginning. Yeah. We always kind of had a struggle, and then we kind of pivoted towards wine and spirits. Things, things were like, yeah, I think things were was, starting to look good yeah, then. It there was like, a, uh, well, there was most certainly a January. I think it was like January. It was definitely a winter. And we were like, we're, we're going to have to shut this thing down. Like, we can't yeah. run the ship, you know? Yeah. Like, I, don't, I think maybe we had been open a year. What was the problem? You just weren't able to get the revenue or? Uh, I mean, like, we were covering bills for mm-hmm. a while there. And then to keep buying product, like, you got to keep the cash flow. Mm-hmm. There, was a, there was a bit of a cash flow issue. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, our rent was out. Yeah. I mean, the, the, there was just, like, the overhead was just... It, it was what it was mm-hmm. like there wasn't like we could cut corners here or, or like cut this out of our overhead and save money yeah or had we had on-premise drinking we could have we could have easily yeah you know? so do you think that you like looking back that you should have known that first december to close it down yeah or like what to... was coming no no because like i think i think like we were definitely building momentum mm-hmm. right okay. up until covid yeah we had that we pivoted towards wine and spirits and and we were we were definitely moving or trending in the right direction, which I think we were all kind of blown away by. And you know, it also helps to have an old lady working the counter too. Yeah, for cheap. So she's related to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right up until COVID, I think we were all like, and it, mm-hmm. it was around that like what three year mark almost. Mm-hmm. You know, where like if you read the the how tos, it's like, oh, business doesn't turn a profit till you know three years. And I think we were really could see the light at the end of the tunnel where it's like, ah, maybe we can hire like a part-time employee for the Mm -hmm. weekend or something, you know, like by no means that I think, uh, I think we all realized pretty quickly that it wasn't going to be, yeah, I think we were going to retire from this job. I think we all kind of realized maybe we could step away. Maybe we could sell it. Maybe we could. That was definitely a talk. Also too, we had, you know, franchise fees as well. Yeah, so that, Which is it, a it percentage of revenue, huge. right? Like two percent or something like that. Two percent. It was yeah. It wasn't a. I didn't think it was a ridiculous. Yeah. But you know, it, <laughs> well, it, still ate, it still ate a little bit of profit. When you only have a like blended twenty five percent margin, that's ten percent of it. That sucks. Yeah. But yeah. And it was almost like paying an employee to kind of not do anything. They made graphics for us for our Instagram. It's kind of stuff that I, you know, yeah, okay. could have done on my on my computer myself. So then, what, um, what did that look like when it started to get to the point that you guys were like, "Fuck this, it's not working." Was it COVID? It was COVID. It was definitely COVID. COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that look? Uh, you guys locked down probably what March? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we really tried to make that work. Uh, we, we we stayed open. Yeah. We got a delivery. And then we started we could deliver doing, beer and spirits yeah. and wine and stuff. Started doing the delivery thing. Mm-hmm. And then because uh, since you weren't on premise, you guys were able to sell to go. But what? I know New Orleans was for a while locked down. I went December of 2021 and there was still, you had to have your fucking card and a mask everywhere you went. Yeah. Part of our decision to, we, at the time, admittedly, we both lived uh, with our parents and (laughs) parents were older. And I I think, you know, we kind of decided to shut down the, from people walking inside the store just in case. And, and, you know, to be honest, I didn't want to sit there for 10 hours wearing a mask on my face all day. You know, I just, I, I just didn't want to do it. And I, and I didn't want to have to deal with the, you know, like the panic of people. You know, I remember when it first happened, like 
there was people like kicking our door just to not touch it. You know, I was like, or like opening our refrigerator doors with like their feet and stuff. And I was like, what are you doing? Do you know how much the yeah. glass panel costs? <laughs> You're about to. <laughs> yeah. And we also, I feel like they, I don't know what it was, but they might've, we had a bunch of like very sketchy people, stump, like homeless people, people in like, the hospital apron or mine in altering states yeah stumbling in and you know it was like what is going on yeah later during covid but you didn't have it before yeah yeah. like at the beginning of covid when like you know and that's like kind of when we switched to just like a delivery model Mm -hmm. i mean or uh or in pickup Mm -hmm. curbside pickup and uh i would say that was like surprisingly doing not bad yeah not bad for like the first couple of months and yeah, then it, yeah and then once everybody kind of got well also you know people were i don't know I was, if you know this but people were drinking a little bit more <laughs> oh, our sales exploded yeah it was crazy <laughs> there's actually a distributor I mean, in houston of- that shut down and just decided not to open during covid and at that time, every one of his competitors posted record numbers. I'm like, what are you fucking doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> I think um, a lot of the uh, bigger name delivery services were getting into the mm. to the game. Like grocery stores were offering delivery and Drizzly so and all those guys. Yeah, yeah. like once again, our with those yeah, price our, our prices compared to a grocery uh-huh. store price. These grocery stores weren't making any money off of beer, you know. So, yeah, so, so in- our markup on beer versus their markup they're like well we've had a couple of people you know tell us well you know they got you beats i was like well why'd you open the door and walk in here and tell me that right like, you know they would come here like, hey. yeah like what you, like okay bye <laughs> so in yeah. hindsight they, it was more of like it moved to a commodity model where it was just whatever is the cheapest version of it because it's being delivered which yeah. i guess makes sense mm-hmm. but did you guys consider dropping your margin or like was that even i we couldn't yeah there's no way yeah. um you yeah. just we we had to pay I had to make rent, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think and our our landlord our landlord was not was willing to not work with us at all. Um, I, I think the best offer they gave us was I can give you two or three months rent free, but like you have to pay me back on the back end. Mm-hmm. And I I say he because we only dealt with a lawyer. the The actual landlord mm-hmm. was a little too wealthy to even deal with common folks like us. Looks like it's owned by a corporation now, but I don't know if it was then. That It's a lady. She owns it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but, going back to the price point thing, in the state of Louisiana, you, you have a bare minimum. You have to sell beer at 6% markup. So there are, I've done the math, like uh, knowing what you pay wholesale, grocery store like eight, nine blocks down the street or whatever it was, was making a dollar something off of a case of beer. A dollar something off the entire case. I'm like, you're right. I can't compete with that. I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, all I can tell you is that like our stuff is better managed. It, it's fresher. Uh, we rotate. It's uh, you can buy everything as a single here, and you we do have some things yeah. that are are offered here that aren't offered there. So obviously, this like, is a this is a challenging time, and everyone's struggling. Mm-hmm. You guys are paying two percent of your revenue to be part of the craft beer seller community i would have to assume that it would be incumbent on them to at least give you guys some help and guidance and ideas in this situation uh yeah <laughs> like, i'm sorry pickup. i don't mean to laugh i apologize no no you're right i just there, there it was do curbside pickup offer curbside pickup online delivery and i'm yeah uh, they no they made us a nice they made us a nice little flyer for our instagram page Actually, my mom made that, I think. My mom made our, our yeah. flyer for our Instagram page. There's a lot of stuff that my mom was just like, eh, I can actually, I can make this on the computer. 
Did you guys have well, online ordering on the Craft Beer Cellar website that they gave you before that? Because oh, it's on there now. No, no, we actually so, we went through a uh, Square. So bad. He did it. Yeah. I uh, well, the their their website that they tried to put together was so bad that we're like, it, and it was like supposed to link with our our uh, our POS oh, yeah, and stuff, mm-hmm. but like the POS, I don't want to say it was terrible, but it wasn't great for the way. Uh, our model work mm-hmm. where like you couldn't count uh we would have to go in at the end of i would say i think at the end of each month and we probably didn't do it as well as we should have and like take out all the single beers we took we, we oh, sold yeah mm-hmm. to so that inventory would match because it would sell it as a single but it would still be under the six pack you mm-hmm. know so like i'm not a tech whiz at all i don't know if there's a better pos system that could have done it better or if they're just all like that you had to get I integration. Split. I had the same problem. So with, yeah. with, at Arbury, I would make, especially during that time, I mean, I would make something as small as like seven cases, eight cases. I would have it in my POS for on-site, and then my online POS was a different yeah. system. And multiple times I oversold stuff. And thankfully at that point in time, everybody was pretty cool, but I looked stupid yeah. and I really did not like it. Could pay for better integration later, and I did do that, and then that fixed it. But in the beginning, it was a shit show for sure. We found, with especially with Square, like, we definitely ran into very similar issues where you know, it's like, ah, actually that item was already sold or right. whatever. I found Square to be super easy and pretty helpful. After this next break, I'm going to come back and talk about kind of how that ended. But so COVID happened March, April. You guys doing for a few months. When, just to foreshadow, when did you guys actually close? The end of July, yeah. 2020. Okay. We'll take a quick break. And we'll be right back. So do you ride motorcycles? Because if you do, you want the sickest gear on the planet. And SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com is the site for you. Break free from the pack with your kick-ass style and design that is as subtle as a sucker punch. When you're out on the open road, don't let anyone confuse you with your grandpa. Project an attitude that's all your own. With their signature style and performance, Simpson sets the standard of looking cool while providing superior comfort and protection. Authenticity counts, and there are many helmet brands out there, but there is only one Simpson. You got a killer bike, don't you? Why settle for a boring helmet? Pick your poison at SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com. Badass riders don't settle for anything less. See for yourself on Instagram at Simpson underscore motorcycle underscore helmets. Thanks for riding with us. We'll see you out there. All right, so welcome back. So COVID starts, we switched the online model. We're struggling, obviously, with the margin to compete with everybody else. Everybody else is using numbers that don't make any fucking sense whatsoever. And so how did you hang in there? Like, obviously, you hung in for, what, a, a year? Uh, Not quite, no. Yeah, not quite. Almost a year. I yeah, we, end of July, July, we closed. So whatever that is. <laughs> okay. Just just uh, online orders. I don't know if your beer sales here have reflected this, but the summer in New Orleans is notorious for mm. terrible beer sales in general. Isn't it kind of a touristy season for you guys? Or? No. Okay. No. It's too hot. It gets hot as well here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oddly enough, we get an uptick in uh, like Scandinavian people who come in the summer, yeah. I noticed. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. Uh, I guess. Nice. I guess. Flights are cheaper. <laughs> no, uh, most, but no, tourism dries up. The people who live here, um, are always traveling yeah. out of town. Um, I don't know why. It's just, I yeah. don't know why it's, it's slow. I would definitely say like once that summer hit during COVID, there was times when we got like 
one or two <laughs> delivery orders. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time watching like YouTube videos <laughs> and, you know, like Netflix and Patagonia we, makes some great YouTube videos. I will say that. We, we started practicing fly fishing oh, in the store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. This had to have been a struggle. What were you guys? So, and I'll give you my opinion. And, and at that time for me, it was month to month. I literally would on the first of the month, I would tell my wife, hey, we may be going out of business this month. And then at the end of the month, I'm like, fuck, we paid everything. So let's do one more month of this shit. And it can that continued for way too long. It was very stressful. What's that like for you guys? I mean, you're both there talking to each other. You knew what your sales were. You knew what your goals were. New Orleans doesn't show any signs of coming out of this or like, you know, opening back up. So how how did you deal with it day to day? It was very, very similar. It was like, yeah. well, uh, We'll see at the end of the month and, oh, well, we, we made enough to cover our bills or we only had to dip into what we had left of our loan a little bit, you know, and then... Uh, we definitely didn't order as much. Yeah. Like, uh, ordering was... I mean, we were actually probably ordering more wine and spirits at during, the time yeah. than, than beer, for sure. We I think we cut a bunch of SKUs and just kind of kept the main sellers yeah. of beer. And then we were keeping our wine in stock and... It just, I mean, we tried to make light of the situation. You know, we had a lot of good laughs, a, a lot of day drinking, I guess, too. I mean, I drank a shitload know. during COVID. <laughs> it was but bad. It was yeah, it was yeah. definitely month to month. And then finally, we were just, it, yeah, I don't know who said it first, but yeah, it was like, like, I'm just, I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. And we, I feel like we just need to go get real jobs Yeah, and start working on a way to unload this debt and mm-hmm. get rid of this lease. We, and I think I I kind of think what happened was a guy randomly showed up one yeah, day yeah. and like knocked on our window and we're like, who the fuck is this? This is during COVID. Want? We're like, <laughs> we don't have any outstanding bills. We don't have any debt. Like, what, what is going on? And he was a rather intimidating guy. He rolled up in, in like pinned out like Mercedes, like SUV, SUV <laughs> like gold chain, like everything. He was kind of yoked too. So it was like, what the fuck? And he's like, hey, are you interested in selling? And I was like, we were like, fuck. In my head, I was, we were like, fuck yeah. And I was like, you idiot. He's a, he was a gentleman that owned a, quite a few other like liquor stores. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Did he buy it like, from little, you? He, down the road, he eventually <laughs> bought us out our lease. Yeah. yeah. Really? So after we had closed. Yeah. After we closed all that, he bought us out of our lease. And we're like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> you know? Like, and, and then like never did anything with the space. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which I was like, whatever, not my problem. So that's always one of my big questions. Obviously, you guys probably had a personal guarantee on the lease. But what did you do before you bought it out? Just not pay it and rack up debt and say fuck off and then... No, we were we were, we were paying. Yeah. Like we, Part of our decision was like, we need to make a, a, a stopping point so that we can continue to make payments mm-hmm. for, you know, like at least six months until we can figure out what to do with this lease. Mm-hmm. And also too, like, you know, we were just paying money towards the lease, uh, not not buying products, not renewing licenses, which are, you got to pay out to ask for. So we, we thought that, you know, if we could sink all of our money into at least paying our rent and then maybe we can you know bucker somebody in to uh <laughs> to, you know buying but luckily this guy you know he came along and i think he was trying to go around and buy like you know liquor bid, licenses. yeah like on the oh, cheap makes sense actually if you have the capital yeah, yeah. to do it yeah i mean like we I, we even got a real estate attorney try and work with the the, the landlord mm-hmm. attorney and nothing huh? you know it's funny like one of the things i remember our real estate person telling us because it was one of my questions, like, well, what happens if it gets to a point where we can't pay and, you know, we still have X amount on the lease? And he was like, oh, 
they normally like work something out and you get out early and they're not gonna, you know, hold you to it and this and that. No, that's, that's a lie. That's a lie. They, they are for sure going to hold it to you, you know? And so so Pat's message is read the goddamn contract. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't listen to the uh, expert either. Like I think what really peeved me about that whole lease situation was at the end of the day, I get, I signed my name, you know, we signed our name and I have to honor that. But it was the uh, lady's attorney said that uh, she couldn't afford for us not to pay. And I'm like, she couldn't afford for us not to pay. We're, we're talking about a lady who inherited like a hundred million dollar business. Yeah. Didn't, <laughs> like I her, think she like hosted Obama. Yeah, or yeah. She like threw, that. She like, threw okay, some like ten thousand dollar plate. Like, yeah. I'm like, like you can't afford. No, that's don't don't give me that. Well, it's been sitting <laughs> vacant ever since. So yeah, whatever. Right. They're putting in some kind of exercise studio. You know. Really. Maybe, maybe you have some advice for them. <laughs> Not don't do that either. Yeah, <laughs> that the guy who who bought us out of the lease, he also bought a small portion of our inventory, mainly wine and spirits. Yeah, and I I worked down the street and passed by pretty much every day. And where we left those wine and spirits is where that lived for like, like a, a year. year. Really? Like, no AC. He, he came in uh, one again, day to open up the back doors, and then and then that was it. He must have never went back. Whatever paid me for it. Yeah. So. <laughs> So what was that like? Um, you guys obviously sold it. The dude takes over. You know, you clear off the counter, take your pens and whatever bullshit stuff you had. Like, what was that like? Oh, we walking out, we had to sell all of our shelves. Actually, yeah, I mean, really? like we were trying to lift as much as yeah. we could. We actually still have a, a decent amount of shelves and storage. And yeah, we have. We actually uh, have a pretty decent cellar in that storage yeah. unit too. I'm sure. So uh, we everyone- Hey, man, we might have some Jose Goza back there, too. <laughs> you might. There might be all kinds of stuff I sold to Louisiana that you guys have. Yeah. I would say, I don't know, I would say closing was like, it was bittersweet. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. It, I'm, it's like, I'm glad it's over. I'm glad, like, I can, mm-hmm. I can it, it was like a bit of a weight lifted off. I don't have to worry about this as much. I tell people this all the time, like, being a business owner is not a, it's not a nine to five job. It's a lifestyle. Like, you don't go home and stop mm-hmm. thinking you don't you don't stop working like it's just it's a lifestyle like you it's always on it, um, it was definitely like kind of a big weight off the shoulders too because i mean every day it was a fight you know it was a it was a it was a fight not only to like try to turn a profit but it was also a fight with these dumbass tourists no offense but <laughs> you know i have a theory that when you go on vacation, you drop a couple of IQ points. And then when you get with the group, you drop even more IQ points. And then you throw in alcohol and you just become dumb. And man, it was a fight to deal with those people. And I know you yeah. look at reviews and I think we've got some pretty good ones, but overall, we yeah. actually got, I was disappointed. I was looking for some shitty ones. I couldn't find a lot of oh, them. Oh, <laughs> oh, we got, we got our shitty one removed. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That's why I couldn't find it. We had oh, this lady came in and she was hammered and she was, you know, running her mouth saying stupid shit. So I was like, I'm not telling you this beer. Oh, no, it was a, it was a canned wine. I was like, I'm absolutely not. You know, I have the right to refuse you. And she starts going off and saying all this crap and, you know, fuck off all your piece of shit, whatever, whatever. Call me every name in the book. And she goes online, writes a review. And she says, this little person, dot, 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 you know, whatever she wrote. So we wrote Google and we had a pretty... I, I he- heavily implied that, that my 
brother was indeed a little person. Little yeah. Per- yeah. Disqualified, oh. disqualified as hate speech. Yeah, so we got her nice. removed for hate speech. You're an angry little elf. That's what you are. <laughs> I think that was like our biggest victory of the store. We got we got our one bad review removed for hate speech. That's not bad. I like that one, actually. I would take that yeah. as a win, personally. I, I always like to use the fact that I got bad reviews as a win, but I like your story better, personally. It was definitely like you know, a relief to not have to have that over our head. It it was weird to go to a job like, oh, I just have to show up and then I can just leave. Like, I don't have to worry about everything. And And you're going to give me a paycheck? This is great. No matter what? Yeah. (laughs) Right. This is awesome. (laughs) I took a job and uh, it was actually by the company my wife worked for. And so her boss, now my boss, was asking her, like, do you think that Kelly will be able to handle actually having a boss? Because at that point I hadn't (laughs) had one in 15 years. And she's like, he needs the money so fucking bad he will handle it and it's been fantastic I'm actually, I'm actually an independent contractor so it's fine but yeah legitimate excuse right that is, that is probably one thing that I do miss the most you know not having to answer to somebody kind of and you know honestly it's uh, it was nice you know it was me Pat and my mom we each took off one day a week I took off one day a week and went and brewed down the street and then uh, on Fridays I'd leave early and go bartend at the brewery down the street so it was like we saw each other every day it was really, you know. Yeah, I mean, like we humbling. had a great, we had a great time. Oh, I mean, yeah. it was, it was fun. We made a, made a lot of memories, and mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I know I learned a, a shitload of things yeah. that I, I don't think I'd have learned any other way. And we also met a lot of, like, we met a lot of great people, yeah. awesome people in the neighborhood. You know, um, a ton of great beer people. We also saw a lot of behind the scenes stuff where we're like, oh yeah, some of these beer people are shitty. You know. It's not all like <laughs> we're all in it together and we're all you know, yeah, we love, yeah. love of beer, you know? Yeah. So it, it was that was kind of eye opening. But you know, a lot of these people are awesome and they're they're all we're all in it together, craft beer movement and it was awesome to see these kick ass people out there, you know, making a living. I like to call it scamming brewery owners into uh working brewery. Just taking their money. Just taking yeah. their money. Well let's go ahead. For something that I that I once did for free actually. <laughs> Well, it's cool you guys both landed on your feet, so uh, that definitely will like, put that in the show notes of where you're at and kind of like, you know, build that piece of it up. I do have a couple of questions as kind of like looking back. A, do you think that the craft beer bottle shop is a viable business now? Obviously, you could have borrowed six years operating capital and you still would have been here today, maybe. But would it, do you think, ever gotten to the point that you both and your mom would have made enough money to make it a legitimate retirement job career? I don't know. I don't know in this market. I think it's very tough mm-hmm. to be a, a bottle, a beer, a beer shop forward, first and foremost. There's a ton of wine shops around here that have been in business for quite some time. Yeah. And, um, and they're cool and unique and funky. For some reason, the brewery ones aren't or as much, but well, you know. well, it's like once you start again, behind the scenes stuff, like you start learning that like, Oh, wine, like there's certain wines that are, only sell to wine shops mm-hmm. like that's the only place you can get them like so i guess they have a much more protective model you know i would say i don't know if i'd ever get back into retail again uh, no, but I, couldn't do it. <laughs> I would say a state where like you have to go to a liquor store to buy alcohol is like the the only i don't want to say guaranteed viable option but it's your percentage is way higher i would say if you had on-premise drinking and you were able to be a a bottle shop even here in new orleans we've kind of proven that that model might not necessarily work or be profitable 
but you know maybe in these areas that have a rich beer community and you know like care about beer I, I you know I I think if you have on-premise drinking I think you can maybe do it you know and th- it also involves you the business owner you know being in there seven days a week pulling a bartender shift or whatever it might be but you know you got to put it in the work I don't think you can step away from it and retire off of it yeah no unless you sold it of course I, I think you know at one point I just kind of go back to your other question about but I think at one point we were discussed like that was kind of like like is there a way we can build this up and, and, and sell it, it mm-hmm. you know, where at least we make our money back, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, somebody else want to buy into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it might've been a little difficult yeah. with some of the, uh, crap beer seller, Google related searches you might find when you. <laughs> well, and also if you pull back the books and look at it and you have like any type of sense, you'd be like, eh, actually, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. No, thank you. Nah, well, what we find in the beer industry is that people that in the brewery side at least are used to not making money. And so being able to buy something for half a million bucks is way less than you would have actually lost by owning it. So it's actually you're doing someone a favor. Uh, my wife actually felt really guilty. So we ended up selling our brewery for a couple hundred grand. And, you know, we invested mm-hmm. at least three quarters of a million. And uh, she was like, I can't have this conversation. I feel horrible selling this to somebody who I know is going to lose money. I'm like, trust me. I'll find someone with enough money that they don't care. And I did. And they don't, they truly don't. They're like, fuck it. I don't, it's yeah. fun. I put my, you know, my kid's name on it. It's, they're having a blast. So I can definitely say since I've read the book, listened to uh, just about every podcast, I can walk into some of our local breweries here and be like, <laughs> man, if you only would have, if you only would have bought this book, you know, if you only would have listened to a couple of episodes, you would have known or you would have. Frankly, you would have gotten ahead, not made some of the mistakes that I walk into these breweries and I'm like, mm. or even the retail shops too, you know? Yeah, they're still making the mistakes, which is, that's the frustrating part and why obviously at the end of the day, I feel so passionate about doing this podcast and taking the time. You know, I don't, I don't make any money doing it, but at the end of the day, I'm creating a batch of content that if you listen to all of it, you read all of it, I feel like you're at least going into it with your eyes open. If you lose money, it's on you at that point. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> out there telling you. But what? let's actually... For sure, and I don't think we're necessarily going to end, but let's end on a high note. Like, tell me, like, Matt, let's start with you. Like, what's your favorite memory? Like, just maybe it's a day or an event or whatever. Like, what's your favorite memory of the time you spent as an owner of a oh, crap beer bottle shop? I mean, there's definitely our year anniversary was awesome, but it's kind of like these side conversations that, like, either a sales rep would come in and we would just bullshit, or we had a we had an old guy in the neighborhood who would come around with his dog. And he would puff on this weed pen all day. And, and we, we kind of turned him on to craft beer. He'd get a couple of beers. Then G13 from Sweetwater came out. And I was like, have I got a beer for you, sir? They made this and for so, you, dude. Yeah. yeah. And, and he was one of those guys. We had a sign that said, yes, we know you can drink outside, but you can't drink in here. But he was one of those guys that, you know, he'd crack open the, and he was an older guy, crack open the beer inside. And, I, you know, we didn't give a shit, you know. Talking with him and sharing his stories. He was from Honduras. Yeah, we, we uh, even had a business plan we yeah, developed over time about opening a, a hotel, hotel down there. Yeah, we had we had we a, gonna uh, grease palms and mm-hmm. we were gonna get <laughs> we had we had it all figured out. He knew he knew who to pay off, right. uh, where the hotel was gonna be, you know, all this stuff. We were gonna retire and, and open a hotel and that's where we were gonna make all of our money. <laughs> and he had it all figured out. And actually this guy worked at Commander's Palace down the street forever. Like decades. Yeah. yeah. 
a, you know, a guy not from the country worked his way up at this like huge restaurant. And, you know, he was a well-respected mem- member of that particular neighborhood in the community. He'd stop by at every business. That man knew everybody's gossip and business. And he'd come in and tell us like, oh, this person's doing that. And they're, you know, they're struggling down there too. And, you know, this, this and that. So it was like almost like getting the neighborhood like newspaper from this man. Just to piggyback, I would say that would probably be my, I don't know about you, but when we opened, my envision was like, we're going to be this like cornerstone of the community. Like this is where people are going to get their beer from. Hangout spot. Yeah. Like we kind of developed that with like a a certain like tight knit Mm -hmm. group of people in the neighborhood. Like, and it's crazy. Like we'll, uh, we'll see people out to this day. Like they might not remember our names Mm -hmm. and we, you know, but they're like, you're the beer guys. My mom runs into people and she'll tell us all the time. Like, Oh, you remember so-and-so and they had this and that and they they saw me today and i'm every, so i think that's what i miss yeah. the most for sure and that's like the highlight and every sales rep or person i see outside of the store they're all they always oh how's your mom doing oh you remember your mom used to work there and you know that i think that was also but actually our mom got put on a it was like a was it a podcast or a show or something it was about new orleans accent oh, and really she has a yeah. yeah she has a very yaddy accent and but just from working the store she got put in this like i don't know new orleans accent video or something i know my mom really appreciated that and she thought it was the greatest thing she could talk to people from all over the country that would come and she would just talk everybody's you know like come on mom, we got to keep the line moving you know there's people waiting to buy their beers and but, uh, you know, that's I fun. think that that's also a, a good memory to cherish, you know, that, you know, we have that moment with our mom, you know. Might make the question a little more challenging, but if you were going to go back in time, do it all over again, would you do it again? No, I don't, I don't, no, no. I think, I think I would like do something Could I different. do it without the hardship? Because <laughs> <laughs> I would take the lessons from it. Metaphor for life, dude. You can't do one without the other. You got to take them both. Yeah. It's not necessarily that I wouldn't get into business. It's not, mm. I'm not, I don't think we're, either one of us is opposed to like getting back into owning our own business. I'm worried. I just, <laughs> I just don't think it would Please be. Please don't that. put me in that position. <laughs> <laughs> we read the how to manual. Yeah, though, so right. Yeah. Now. <laughs> it was actually the how not to, and all. <laughs> I would say that having read all the other how to brewery books, I, I really appreciated yours, especially after owning our own business mm-hmm. that I was like, this is the book that tells you all the things you need to know that the other books don't tell you. Like, yeah, the stuff just, we left out. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they, they were like, oh, it's going to be like this. It's going to be all rainbows and unicorns. Mm-hmm. And it's like, nah, it's like you, like he said, it's a fight. Like you have to fight every it's day. A, yeah. I don't think we have to, but if we had to distill it down to one big piece of advice, chick walks up to you and says, dude. I'm doing a bottle shop in New Orleans. What are you going to tell her? What does she? What does she need to know? You're not going to stop her. She can do it anyways. Uh, what does she need to know? One, one of our customers had a great idea. He said, "Put live nudes in the store, like a sign, neon sign, and people will come running in, and then uh, you know, just be like, oh, false advertisement." <laughs> You think that would work? <laughs> hey, that's what it is. That's what it's about. Like. No, but seriously. I, I would say start with a much bigger inventory than you than you think. Understand where where your margins are gonna come from. Inventory and like yeah, diverse like, inventory, like beer, wine, spirits. Put put more money into wine and spirits mm-hmm. in the begin with. 
Like, don't just do and beer. I was, don't rely on on beer mm-hmm. to be your main source you gotta of, have of revenue. A, you gotta have a gimmick. My oldest brother talked about that a lot. You know, you gotta have a gimmick. You gotta pie piper the people in, <laughs> as he said. Not my words, his words. But I would definitely say, you know, low overhead. Yeah, I guess no, that, I mean, yeah. it boils down to that. Like, do you, you want a built-in customer base or you want to mm-hmm. take the time and spend the money to build, to cultivate that one to come to your spot wherever the, at the lower overhead? Because, yeah. I mean, you're, you're always going to have to make that rent. You're always going to have to pay that uh, electric bill. Mm-hmm. And I would say have the ability to do some type of on-premise yeah. drinking. Even if you have, it's like a couple of tables, something that you can manage or like have a person attending the register while you're bartending. I think that would be the key to it as well. You know, flipping these kegs. I ask everybody this question. I'm going to ask you his last question. Then you're going to tell us what you're doing now and how to find you. How has working in this industry affected your relationship to alcohol? And if you haven't heard that, my other questions, I will say that it made me an alcoholic. And so um, I'm asking did sampling beer and wine all day, did kind of working in it and having ready access to it, particularly when the stress kicked in, did that affect how much you drank and how how often you did it? Definitely with the stress, mm-hmm. for sure it went up, for, yeah. for sure. I mean, we drank more wine and spirits just, and, you know, we never had before, but, you know, we'd get these samples and we'd get, <laughs> oh, it's like, oh man, we got this new uh, hazy crap bomb. Get, like, we got to try it because we got to talk about it. So, you know, we... We did a lot of splitting. We were always splitting. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. When it when it got stressful, I know personally, mm-hmm. yeah, that I, I drank more to, I guess, deal with it. Well, I think we all did. So don't, yeah. don't feel alone. Well, so tell us like what you guys are doing now, like uh, pump up your current stuff and where you're working and give a little resume builder. After the store closed, I actually moved to Houston with uh, our older brother and I started working at Silver Eagle. The Really? Like, Silver Dill. The third, fourth largest <laughs> distributor in the country. This is before uh, the split, right? Like, did you work there during the split? No, after. After okay. it was bought for a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I worked there for a year. Got to learn more about that side of the business. <laughs> There's another one I would never go back to, I don't think. I just, I always say distributors is where beer goes to die. Like, nobody cares about beer there. It's the least imaginative part of the business for sure. But I mean, yeah. it's got, it needs to be there. Someone's got to carry kegs yeah. and cases. I got fed up there and uh, started working on the packaging line at Buffalo Bayou in Houston. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> yeah. So what are you doing now then? Because clearly that's not working out for you. I got a job. He, I got, him, he uh, got me a job at Oscar Blues in uh, Austin, Brevard, North Carolina. Oh, really? Yeah, so I I actually bought a van and lived in my van for six months in Asheville, in the Asheville area, I should say. Just worst places to spend your days. I've been in Asheville a couple times. Yeah, I loved it there. I just, I couldn't afford to keep living out of the van and rent in Asheville is just absurd. If you can find a place to begin with. And then I begged him for a job at at, uh, Faubourg. So that's where I'm working now, in the cellar. I was down the street, a new brewery had opened up, um, Yale and I like, I sent them a uh, a letter. We we're looking for bartenders, so I was like, "Hey, I'll you know I'll come down. I'll, you know, obviously I'm not making any money here. And I uh, kind of need some money because I was planning on getting engaged. Started bartending there and bartending there one day a week. And then during my day off, which was a Wednesday, I was like, "Hey, man, like, can I come and just like you know hang out in the back? Actually, our big secret plan was like, "Hey, go work at this brewery. Figure out how breweries work." 
and you know we can open up a brewery and we can do it quickly i was like you know what i i'm never fucking gonna open up a brewery <laughs> no but you can I be an employee that's the place to be yeah especially a bartender but so i worked in the back there you know told the guy i was like you know I'm, i understand how small businesses work i don't want to get paid until uh i actually know how to do shit Quickly, he realized, like, you know, okay, this guy can can do it. I took my bartender pay and then got bumped up to $10 an hour, and I was, I was brewing there once a week and bartending there on Friday, picking up a couple of weekend shifts if they needed it. More and more as the, uh, the brewery picked up volume and more and more as the business kind of went uh, <laughs> downhill, I, I started working there more and more. And I became the only production guy. So it was a little 10 barrel system, mainly taproom focused, kind of where I got my idea of like, okay, you need to be taproom focused and have very little small like keg distribution, bring in a little revenue, a guaranteed revenue. I did that 2018 to 2021. And then some guy was like, hey man, you should go apply for, you know, at Foberg, you know? And I was like, okay, big 100 barrel brew house, all the bells and whistles. High grab brew, cut with deaerated water, got all the transfer equipment, flash pasteurizer. I walked in there and I was like, how the fuck are these people even making beer? Like, caustic was cold. It was not slimy. Oh, man, it was a disaster. Dio's in the bright tank were like 500. Transferred beer was like at 1,000. I was like, what the fuck is going on? On production, so, high production, light lager? High production, yeah. yeah. And actually a director of brewing operation just got hired at the time and we kind of went hand in hand and like helped turn that place around obviously you know it was a team effort we took a lot of their processes and you know tweaked them and a year later got named the head brewer and now we're actually merged with it's a company called made by the waters it's us uh foberg um palmetto catawba and oyster city we like to call it a mini canarchy that's the way to do it. Obviously, the, the more diversified you are in this industry, the better and larger. Yeah, production. I think it's kind of a trend now with these like regional craft breweries is like, you know, you kind of see a lot of them. I mean, Urban South here just bought Perfect Plan or some brewery in Pensacola. I think you're going to see that as a trend. You know, these regional breweries who kind of can't make it are going to start buying these other breweries and diversifying. I think it's a way to buy. You're basically buying tap room. Yeah, and just diversification. Like even in the yeah. interview I just released this week, the guy from Canada, Greg, they decided to make one Pilsner, have that be a flagship, and then buy multiple brands to keep within it. And so they're able to walk into one place, and they've got you know the funky IPA, the the sour, yeah, they got a new yeah. Belgian beer, and they've got this kick-ass Pilsner. I, I just think your sales rep. Their job's fucking cake at that point. Like, that's you buy the whole portfolio, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. It's like everything that you want, but it's also, you know, the disguise of like, oh, they've got this new brewery, but in reality, you know. Well, good. I, obviously, that uh, shows you guys are moving forward in your careers, which is the whole point. I do recommend you stay as far from the ownership side as you possibly can, but you <laughs> do whatever the fuck you want. It's your life. Live it your way. I, I, have a, I have a great business plan. I'm sure you do. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to look at it. Unfortunately, I get sent business plans all the time. been picking them apart at my leisure but yeah i think we still have that pipe dream though opening up a brewery and weird like even though we know, we know it and having worked in all it. of the all three facets of, mm-hmm. of it it's still there 
Even yeah. though it's like I mean it is fun and I'm not going to go back and say that the last, you know, the decade I spent in the industry was all all shit and all suck. I and mean, there's definitely a lot of stress, but there was it was a beautiful moment in my life. It gave me the ability to be artistic and passionate and to create new and interesting things that maybe were a little too new and interesting and esoteric for the general population and that's a whole different podcast for the day. But you want to do it, you should do it. If I can say anything in this podcast, I would say that if you're going to do it, just come to terms with the fact that Profit's not why you're doing it and yeah. find someone to help you support it because you will need investor money from time to time. And if you're cool with that, the investor's cool with that, everyone's above board, then it's fine. If you go to your investor two years later and say, hey, I told you I was going to make you 100 grand. I need 500 more to make you 50. You're an <laughs> asshole. And that is what I'm trying to say. So if that's your dream, chase it, but chase it with your head in straight. That's all I'm saying. So on that note, I will say that I appreciate you guys spending the time. I know we can be long-winded and a couple hour podcast is definitely not for the faint of heart. You guys stuck in there and sounds like I could probably go longer if we wanted to, but I'm going to wrap it up and reserve the right to follow up with you guys in the future if I've got some additional follow-up questions and stuff I need, but um, I'm super happy that you guys landed on your feet and uh, if, if anything that's that's the win right there so yeah. thanks for sharing appreciate it yeah thank you, you having us yeah. yeah thanks for hanging in dudes and dudettes I truly hope this podcast adds value to your life as much as to your career I hope it's opened your eyes your heart and even your mind. I hope you're readied and steadied for the rocky road that lies ahead of you. By now you know you're going to need some salt in your margarita if you hope to have enough grit to finish the round. So here's to double salting the rim of life, motherfuckers. I mentioned earlier the book I wrote in 2019 and revised the hell out of 2020. It is 55,000 words available on Amazon and a fantastic way to support the show. You can also share your favorite episode with friends and foes. That shit helps way more than you might know. Plus, every purchase you make from one of my sponsors directly helps keep me in business. And if you're feeling really squirrely, there's a link in the show notes for how to support the show with a direct donation. But most of all, I appreciate your support by coming back, learning something valuable, and spreading the message to the rest of the world. You are part of the craft beer revolution that will keep the business part strong enough to keep the fermentation part flowing. And I, for one, love the absolute fuck out of each of you. So thanks for being a listener, and I look forward to meeting you all one day. Free play. Media. Media.